beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. It's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth. So each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers, creative wanderers, and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes. If you like traveling, this is what you need. So tune in. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. I'm Francis. Hey, everybody. I'm Nubia. And we have a wonderful show for you today. We are here chatting with Aaron Horwath, who is currently an expat living in Da Nang, Vietnam. Aaron, say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. How's it going, Aaron? It's going pretty well. We're on a Tet holiday today, so the city is shut down. So uh, it's a good day to do a podcast. Awesome. What is a Tet holiday? Uh, Tet holiday is, I think, similar or the same as uh, Chinese New Year, but basically all of Vietnam shuts down for a week and everyone goes back to the countryside to visit family and celebrate the New Year. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, but it's also very bizarre because it's a city of one million people that pretty much empties for five days. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was in uh, Indonesia, God, I'm going to forget what the word is, but it was around, I want to say April, where the whole, pretty much the whole country shuts down where they celebrate um, the dead and, and life. And I was not able to leave my hostel. Like, <laughs> they were like, nope, you can't leave. You just got to stay put and just wait. And I was like, okay, no problem. Yeah. And the next day they had like a bunch of celebrations and everything. And it was cool, but uh, it was very different. Wait for what though? I just couldn't leave because no one was allowed to leave. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just rolled with it, you know. That's a little odd. I, I, I gotta remember. I gotta okay. find out what it was. It was like the year of the dead or something like that. I can't remember, but um, it was interesting. Oh, I thought that was a Mexican tradition, no? Uh, I'm probably messing it up right now, so don't quote me. Okay, you did say that. Yeah. All right, so Aaron, you have five days to just kind of chill out. That's right. Yeah, it's always kind of like going back and forth between do you leave for Tet and pay the higher price for airline or do you stay here? And I always end up staying here and then wishing that I left. But I think over the next five days, I'm going to go teach myself how to surf. That's my thing for the next five days. So we'll see how it goes. Nice. How's the weather in Da Nang? Because Francis and I were there for New Year's and it was pretty chilly. It was nice, but it was pretty chilly. It wasn't like we could go to the beach or anything. No, yeah, it's super cold. It's been really cold, but the last, the next couple of days are going to be in the 70s and 80s. And so, I don't know, we got really good weather for Ted this year, which is fantastic. If it had been raining, I don't know what I would have done. So, very thankful for uh, some good weather. Nice, nice. So, let's dive right in and find out why Danae. What brought you there? Yeah, so it goes back actually quite a ways. I graduated in 2014 and went to the Hamptons in New York right after graduation to coach tennis at a private tennis club. And two weeks before that ended, I was walking by a group of super wealthy, powerful (laughs) uh, parents of kids who played tennis at the club. And I overheard them say that they were looking for an English teacher or an English tutor. And uh, I was 22 and had no business talking to this group of people, but I walked by and kind of hesitated and then went back and introduced myself and let them know that I just finished graduating with a degree in secondary education in English. And 
one of the parents was like, let me get your information. And like two days later, they made me an offer to come to Hong Kong with them and live in their in their mansion and coach their kids in tennis and be their English tutor. And so uh, that got me to Asia. So that's how I found my way to, uh, to Asia and uh, lived in Hong Kong for six months doing that and then decided that it was time to move on and just started doing like a very traditional job search looking up job boards in Vietnam and uh, Indonesia and different countries that I was kind of interested in maybe going to and received an email from a job that I applied to from an entrepreneur who ran the business uh, that I applied to. And he asked if I wanted to come over to Vietnam to help him with one of his companies that he was trying to build. So I was like, okay, sure. I had no experience. And so I just took it as an adventure to move to Vietnam and uh, took the risk, no contract, no nothing official, just went over on a tourist visa to see what this guy had, uh, what he was doing and, and if I could help and if it was interesting. And ended up staying in that job for eight months and then decided it was time to move on, but wanted to stay in Vietnam. I found an international technology company who was hiring. I applied to them and their HR department very quickly turned me down. They weren't looking for an expat. So then I, emailed the CEO of that company and said, hey, you guys just turned me down, um, but I'd really like to work with you and I think I could contribute. And I thought that I would never hear from them again. But like a day later, the CEO responded and said, let's get an interview with you. Uh, one of our guys is in Vietnam right now. And that was three years ago. And I'm still working at Pixels, the co that company. And uh, I'm the head of global training there and run a team of 14 awesome Vietnamese staff and live in Vietnam, in, uh, in Da Nang, which is a coastal city in central Vietnam. And that's kind of, uh, oh, nice. that's my, that's my path, my very random weaving path to abroad. Yeah. Talk about trusting the universe and stepping out of faith. Yeah. Like that was absolute definition of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, and I'm sure you guys have found this talking to expats who are living abroad is that it's very seldom the situation that you're taking kind of a direct line to abroad. I think most people usually end up kind of having to be flexible and weaving and taking different opportunities that present themselves and um, taking leaps of faith and a little bit of a risk here and a little bit of risk there. And, and uh, you know, it's easy to do when you're young, especially. And, uh, but it, you do have to be willing to, to take those, those risks. And so I'm very glad that I, I was willing to do it. And, uh, yeah, it's led to, uh, I don't know, there's not much more I could ask for at 25 than, uh, well, yes, you definitely have a different story, but it's great because the thing about it is opportunities pre present themselves that's all right. the time. Right. That's and stability looks different for all of us. So you went and you learned, you gained the knowledge that you needed to um, to gain, you traveled and you moved on and it led you to where you were supposed to be or where you want it to be because you could have got turned down by HR and been like, oh, I, get, I didn't get the job and move on. You, like your determination was just like, no, I want to try again. And you did that where a lot of us wouldn't have and that's where you are today. And I think that's amazing, you know, to be so young and have that kind of determination and perseverance to say, I want this opportunity to reach out to the CEO of the company and say, look, <laughs> I am a value to your company, but you didn't have experience, correct? No, I, no, I was just straight out of college and uh, just really wanted to work for them. But, you know, that's especially like, because I have in, in my day job, running my blog, what I found is kind of a cliche, but it's amazing what can happen if you're willing to just ask for it. And, you know, it, it, people are really willing to help 
And they really appreciate people who are willing to put in that extra effort to, to get in front of them or ask them a question or ask them a favor or um, connect. And pe- people really tend to be open to that. I think Steve Jobs in an interview said the same thing. Like people are very willing to help you if you're, if you have the guts to, to ask. And so, you know, the, once you do it once or twice, you start to see that, you know, there's a lot of doors that are kind of sitting there waiting for you to walk through. You just kind of have to get yourself to, you have to have, be confident enough to ask to walk through those doors and, and, and take advantage of the opportunities that, that come your way. Yeah, I totally agree with that because that's something I've learned over time and it's not something I've been comfortable with in the past, but I've realized that and since working with Nubia, it's just like, just ask because the worst case scenario is they say no and you move on with your life anyway, right? So it's just ask. It's not the end of all, end of the world to do so. So let me take you a little bit uh, backwards. So how did your family feel about you transitioning abroad and have been... And what was that like? They've been super supportive. You know, it's funny because you think, wow, your family is going to be really heartbroken that you've moved abroad. But the truth is that I probably, I definitely talk to my parents more now that I live halfway across the country than I did when I lived in the same city and was going to university. I don't know why that is. Maybe because the ease of being able to go visit your parents makes it so that you can always do it tomorrow. But when you're abroad, you feel the distance more and you really want to make sure that you maintain that connection. And so it's fantastic. They've been super supportive. I talk to my mom and dad every day, sharing pictures, sharing video, Skype, WhatsApp. Um, Snap. My mom follows me on Snapchat so she can see what's going on and see what I'm doing and where I'm going. And so they've been amazing. And But they've always been that way, being supportive and kind of, you know, do whatever you want to do, but just do it well and uh, and work hard at it. And so They've, they've never had any problem and they've come and visited too. Uh, both my parents have come and my, my, my dad especially loved Vietnam and, and thought it was the coolest thing ever and something that when he was growing up, he would have never been able to do and, and is thrilled that I'm taking advantage of, you know, a more globalized economy or, or however you want to put it, willing to go on a bit of an adventure and, and live a less traditional kind of, or take a less traditional path. Um, and so, yeah, they've been fantastic. That's awesome. That's awesome. But just to kind of piggyback off of what we were just talking about, because I think our listeners need to truly understand about the power of asking, right? It's funny that you, you know, brought this to the podcast because I literally just posted something on Facebook, what, a couple of days ago, Francis, when I said like a closed mouth doesn't get fed and I'm tired of not asking, right? Yeah. And I just kind of took a leap of faith and asked my friends to make sure that you share the podcast. Make sure you download and listen. Don't just like and say, hey, good job. Like, really go out and do it. And we woke up the next morning and our numbers had almost tripled. Yeah. You know, and it's because I asked. So I really want our listeners to understand that, you know, when you want something in life, you have to go for it. And even if you get rejected the first time, continue to go for it if it's something that you truly believe believe in. Because you, the worst thing that can happen, like Francis said, is that you get a no. And at least you can say, I tried. I get a lot of people that say, oh, I wish I could do this. And oh, I wish I could do that. And it's like, you can, why can't you? (laughs) You know what I mean? What's the reason or the excuse why you can't do something like travel? That's right. And and it's not just a mindset. There's some really practical ways that you can start taking those steps towards 
an international career if that's what you want, especially for people who have been in an industry for a while. I know a lot of your listeners maybe are 30 and they've had 10 years in their industry. But if you're looking to go abroad, that asking part of the asking is becoming more visible in your industry. So making sure not just that your LinkedIn is updated, but that you're posting and you're engaging with people in your industry in the countries that maybe you want to go to, or you're like starting a podcast or have publishing blog posts or on medium publishing content, whatever it is. Um, but making sure that people that you're really visible in your industry and people see what you're doing and how you think and, and you're making connect international connections in the countries that you might want to move to. All of those things are part of that becoming more visible, asking, growing your network, all of these things really, really help with creating, opening those doors that maybe you don't even know are there. You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, resources, and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone. So this is a great segue into uh, the amazing blog that you created called The 12-Hour Difference, where you share insights on the expat life and provide content for people who want to embark on an international career. Can you talk to us more about that? I started 12-Hour probably more selfishly than anything. Um, I just wanted to have a chance to reflect on my own experience a little bit. When you, you know, I live abroad and I also live alone. And so it can get, um, you can get in your head a little bit. So I just kind of wanted to flush out some ideas. But 12 Hour ended up being a really nice opportunity to share with younger people who are coming out of college that you don't have to just do the college, you know, get married, get a dog, have a kid, stay in your hometown. There's a lot more opportunity thanks to globalization, the globalization of the economy. But also, you have to take advantage of that because the U.S. is so competitive now that there's some really amazing opportunities to take advantage of, but you have to kind of go out there and, and, and get them. And so I just wanted to share how that, what that looks like. What is it? How do, you, how do you find a job abroad? What does life look like if you move to a Japan or you move to a, a Thailand and how do you take that, take that path and just show people that it's possible. It's not, you know, a couple of people who are doing it. It's totally av- like normal, average people who are taking advantage of opportunities in different countries and growing, not just traveling, but growing their professional career. Nice. So what's the number one question you get from people who have found you on the web and want to know more about landing a job internationally? The biggest question is how. So if you Google living abroad, most of the content is about, you know, mindset or it's about transitioning or dealing with homesickness. But one of the big, one of the things that especially your podcast can take advantage of is the practical advice. How do you actually get a job abroad? How do you make connections internationally? You know, when you're in in Nebraska, how do you make connections in your industry in Japan or whatever it is? And so it's those types of questions where people, there's a gap in the resources online a little bit about really practical advice of how you start an international career. And I realized that pretty early on. And so that's why I brought on guests from um, startup environments, uh, Fortune 500 companies, asking them who are expats and asking them, you know, what are the really practical steps that you took to take your, your career abroad? So what's the biggest misconception that you hear from folks about, you know, getting a job internationally? or living, working, what do you hear? Everybody wants to be 
an Instagram star who spends all of their time on the backs of elephants and underwater falls in their bikinis. <laughs> said backs of elephants. Full time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm clapping. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. It's so funny. Um, everybody wants that. And of course, the, the distortion that social media provides is that it's very easy or that there are lots of people doing it. And that I can quit my day job today and I can start a blog or I can start a podcast and I'll have a ton of viewers and, and I'll be promoting products online and I'll be a digital nomad and it will be awesome. People don't understand that these things operate on a bell curve. And the people that you see on Instagram represent a very small minority of people who have actually been able to do it. That isn't to say that you cannot do it. People can do it. Someone that I had on my blog early on is now doing it. He actually was able to do it. But people have to understand that of the two people you see on Instagram who are doing it, 500,000 failed. And so there, but there are other ways to get abroad other than just being a social media star. And so that was kind of what I, that was part of the 12 hour difference also was that the, the social media star is not the only avenue. You can work a normal job that, you know, develops you as a professional and you work in an office and all of these things. You have kind of a normal life abroad Monday through Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday, you can have your waterfall Instagram life. But you can have but 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 that's not the only avenue for for getting abroad. No, I love it. I love it. Because also the misconception is everybody that lives abroad teaches, right? A ton of us do, you know? Um, It is a way to create a uh, location independent type of style of living, especially if you teach abroad um, or become like private tutor because you can kind of take your business with you wherever you go, right? So it's great to actually hear and talk to somebody that has a physical nine to job, nine to five job abroad because you're the first. I think everybody that I've met thus far is on a journey where they're not staying somewhere long enough to be in a company. Yeah. And they're just freelancers. So they are working um, some kind of web design or marketing or, you know, any of those jobs that you can actually do from a computer anywhere in the world. So you're actually the first person I've met that landed a job as a foreign, as we call it here, foreigner in a foreign place and did not come with the company. Yeah. And there's no doubt that, you know, teaching English is a fantastic way to get abroad. But I think people sometimes limit themselves in thinking that that's the only thing that you can do, especially if you have previous work experience. You can get abroad by teaching English and use that as a platform for networking. So, you know, teach English for a year. And during that year, it's paying for your life expenses while you're networking in your industry at the same time. There's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. And certainly you don't need to feel limited in just teaching English or just freelancing. There are companies, plenty of companies who are looking to hire people who have experience, especially in the West, coming to the East, where these countries are just now in their boom. They're growing and they don't have people who have industry experience. So that experience is highly valued. It's being a by moving to another country like Vietnam or somewhere else in Southeast Asia, you're really a big fish in a small pond. You have a lot of valuable experience and industry knowledge that companies will really value and they'll hire you to come in and, and work with them. And so, yeah, that would be the only thing I would say is English teaching is great. And, and I was an English teacher as well. If you're interested in making the leap to back to your industry or to uh, 
to a nine to five, a typical nine to five job or something that you feel like maybe provides you more professional development, those opportunities are certainly out there. And I would say even they're pretty plentiful. So Aaron, how do you go about making those international connections and creating or networking internationally? Like I think a lot of people know how to sort of do it, you know, in the States, you know, you go <laughs> get on meetup.com and you do all that. But how do you go about doing that internationally? Yeah. So if you're in the U.S. and you're trying to network internationally, the first thing, like I said before, is just about visibility. You know, making sure that you're, you're not making sure. One option is to publish content online that gets you a little bit of visibility and interaction within your, within your industry. That's always good. But it's nice to have, you know, on a quick Google search, an international employer be able to pull up, oh, look, he, he's in a Forbes article. He has these publications. This is kind of how he thinks. He appeared on this podcast, yada, yada, yada. That's really nice social validation and professional validation that people can look up really easily. The second part is even if you're a seasoned seasoned professional in your industry, having an international mentor, somebody who works in your industry in the country that you want to move to, who you can ask questions of, not can you hire me? I really want a job abroad, but what is our industry like in Japan? What are the, the what is working there like? What values what what professional values do they value in Japan? What is your daily work life like? What is the expat community like? Being able to ask really, really specific questions about the city or the country that you're looking to move to that maybe Google just simply doesn't provide. You know, it, that's a very that would be a very niche blog if it was specific to your industry in your country. But it's really easy to go on LinkedIn and make those connections and, and ask questions. Twitter also. So social media is not just for cat videos. You can make really important professional connections online um, through LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. All of my guests who were CEOs or higher ups in Fortune 500 companies for my blog, they all came from Twitter and from LinkedIn. So people are really willing to to make those connections and they want to make connections and help you out and, and provide you the information that you're looking for. So becoming really visible is a great way making sure you're making international connections and then being willing to be flexible as well. So you may really want to work in Japan for a specific job, but maybe there's a a equally good job that isn't, wasn't your perfect dream in Thailand. I think if you're going to work abroad, you have to be willing to be flexible and take the opportunities that come to you. It's very difficult to find the specific exact thing that you're looking for. And you also risk maybe not being a bit disappointed when you get it. So to me, that flexibility when you're working abroad, willing to take the, the, the almost perfect opportunity just to get abroad and get things started, I think is really important as well. That's awesome. And I love the fact that you brought up LinkedIn. There are many people that I've asked about LinkedIn and they're like, oh, you know, I have it. I haven't updated. I don't use it. And it is a powerful tool. It's not only about you know, work. It is about connections and building. That's why it's called connections that, you know, the thing that LinkedIn has that says you're connected now to whomever you're connected to has other connections and they see you as well. So it is important to be visible on LinkedIn just as much as Facebook and also pay attention to the content that you put out there on your personal social media. Because as an adult, you shouldn't have content that isn't, you know, meant for the web. But anywho, um, it's important. No one, no one wants to see your 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 
your mechanical bull riding topless with a beer in your hand. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. That yeah. was a memory that you keep as a memory and that's it. That's you know right. what I mean? I mean, so it's just one of those things where I love the fact that you're, you're saying tap into your resources. It's all there. And that's one of the things that, you know, the reason why we created Chronicles Abroad was to bridge that gap, right? To let people know, because Francis and I was getting questions a lot, right? The how. But our story is just one, you know, two stories from two people. We wanted to get a collection of stories from different people because we've all done it differently, you know, and we can all bring resources to you guys out there for you to understand that there's so many different ways of doing this. So thank you, Aaron, for even giving those pointers because it's, it's extremely important and it's valuable information. So um, let's ask. So let's tap into Vietnam a little bit. Sorry, I, I just wanted to say one more thing about the, the job search part, and that's that is get started right now. Don't put it off until next week or when it's the perfect time or when you think it will be better. The perfect time will not come. There will never be a time where moving to a different country for a job feels comfortable. It will be uncomfortable. It will be a bit difficult. Things will be confusing. There will be headaches. That will never change. And so if you're interested in working abroad, send out an email today. Go on LinkedIn and update it today and make one connection or two connection. But Force yourself to get started because once you get started, it gets a lot easier. You get into a rhythm and you're much more efficient that way. It's just that first step of, okay, I want to work abroad, but what do I need to do? Okay, first step, go update your LinkedIn. Second step, go make three connections on LinkedIn of somebody who works in the country that you think you want to work on. Step three, send out an email and ask somebody randomly to be your mentor. Will they respond? Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But at least you get your you get things, the ball rolling and, and you're being proactive and you can at least feel um, for yourself that you're really trying to make it happen. And that helps you take yourself seriously. I love that call to action. Nice. Get it. Call to action. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you heard that? Today. No excuses. Call to action. No excuses. I love it. I love it. So, Aaron, how has your transition to Vietnam been? Vietnam is fantastic. As a country, I just think it's awesome. I'm incredibly biased because I, de- as an expat, I deal with all of the best things about Vietnam and have to deal with basically none of the negative parts that somebody who actually lives here has to confront on a daily basis. But as far as expat life goes, it's great. I think everybody goes through a transition period where you know your t- everybody's timeline changes a little bit, but the first two weeks are super exciting and everything is amazing, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then maybe headed into your second month or so, some of the shininess of your new place starts to wear off, and some of the annoyances and some of the cultural differences, you know, they they start to wear on you a little bit. It doesn't become as fun not knowing where to get contact solution or whatever your thing is that you can't find, and it just becomes a bit frustrating. And then eventually you exit out of that, and you settle in, and you figure out your routine, and, and things become fun again. I think that some people get in that after honeymoon phase where things are a little bit difficult and they start to wonder, oh my gosh, did I make a mistake? Was this the right decision? I kind of don't like it. There's all these things that annoy me. I think you really have to push through at least through three months to get a decent feel for how you really fit in. There's always going to be, no matter where you move, even the most perfect place, there's always going to be that time that's really frustrating and the shine has worn off a little bit. And so for me, it was the exact same way. You know, at first I got here and I was like, this is amazing. And then there was a month or two where it was really frustrating, really lonely. And then you kind of push through and you find your you find your stride and things start to become more normal. And that's a great feeling when you feel like I've really 
it, to some extent assimilated to this really foreign culture, that's a great empowering feeling. It gives you a lot of confidence going forward to take on similar adventures. Yeah, I would definitely agree to that because I think you do go through that honeymoon stage and then you get so frustrated because, you know, in the States, everything is just accessible. You know, there's you don't have to think about anything on a daily basis. Pretty much a lot of things are on autopilot. And then you get to this foreign country and you got to, like you said, navigate. I need contact solution. How do I get that? I remember being in Vietnam and I was sick and I had to find the pharmacy just to get like some um, lodgings or something. And it was not an easy task. But I think once you commit and give yourself the opportunity to go through those growing pains, you'll have an incredible experience. I must say that was that was a funny experience too, by the way. Trying to find it <laughs> trying to find her some cough medicine in Vietnam was hilarious. <laughs> we stopped at every store we could and she's like, Nope, not that one. <laughs> I'm like pharmacy and they're like, What? I'm like, Okay. Yeah, but that's uh that's life, right? I mean, that's how you gain meaningful experiences is by doing things that are really uncomfortable and really challenging and and difficult. And so that's if you're looking abroad looking to live abroad because every day is going to be like a foreign vacation, um, you're going to be disappointed. You have to, you know, living somewhere is much different than backpacking, much different than traveling for vacation. You're building a new life. And like you said, relearning all, all these very basic things that at home you don't even think about. And now you've got to learn how to do them in a totally different environment. And that takes time. But like I said, at the end of it, it's incredibly rewarding if you're able to assimilate and figure it out. So, Aaron, I might have to ask you for your ID. Are you sure you're in your 20s? Oh, why do I sound younger or older? You're older. You are not your typical millennial. But you know, you're really not. You speak so eloquently with some great advice to be so young, you know. And one thing I can say, most of the millennials that I've met, and I use most very loosely, who have taken the time to travel abroad and learn something new, have been a lot more mature than most of the millennials that come here just to go to the full moon parties or something like that. You get what I mean? So, this is for parents out there. You know, it's very good idea to get your kids acclimated to being abroad and traveling abroad and getting those juices flowing because it really does help them in the long run as an adult to have a different uh, perspective, a different mindset, to be able to be culturally aware and just be a better, more well-rounded person. You know, the parents that I have met here that have young children that live abroad and go to international schools, and these are Americans, their children are so polite. They speak with just, a, I, don't, I don't know how to put it. It's just they're more well-rounded kids, you know, and they just enjoy life differently, which I think is just beautiful. So with that being said, Erin, were you traveling prior to leaving after university and stuff? Like with your family, did you have a background in traveling internationally? Yeah, I was very fortunate to grow up with traveling. And, but it was mostly for vacations and things. I mean, it wasn't like we were going to save, you know, people in South America or something. We were going to, you know, we did some adventurous stuff, but it was mostly for uh, vacation. But what I would say about living abroad is that especially after college you spend four years surrounded by all these people and it's a great experience to, to network pe with people your age and, and develop really special friendships and things but the flip side of that is that you lose yourself a little bit 
And the rare opportunity I think that living abroad provides is a chance to spend some time alone after college and sift through yourself a little bit and say, okay, I've spent four years surrounded by people and I've kind of taken on some of their characteristics and they've taken on some of mine. So most people just go straight into a job and they don't get to pause. But I've had the chance over three years to spend a lot of time on my own and kind of sift through, okay, what parts after college do I want to keep of myself? And what parts do I want to shed that I took on from other people or whatever? And that's a really unique experience because most of us spend most of our time surrounded by people. You know, if you think about like a college student going from living with college roommates and then getting a job and living with people probably, and then you get married and you're with people and you don't have that solitude or that opportunity to kind of look at yourself without all the noise of everything else. And that's, oh, that, that's probably the most valuable part of having lived abroad for three years is that opportunity to do a lot of reading, a lot of writing, and kind of looking and figuring out after four years of college, who am I right now? Who am I actually? What parts have I taken on from other people? And also, who am I looking to be uh, going forward? And in the U.S., life is so fast and so complicated. There's so much to do every day. It's really difficult to, to honestly take that time. Uh, to be introspective a little bit. Yeah. And so that that's a really special thing that living abroad, especially alone, has allowed me to do. I feel like I've grown up in Vietnam, kind of. Yeah, I love that because I believe, and it's interesting, I was, I was finishing up Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. And he just says, you know, travel is self-development and it's self-improvement. And you're right, you don't have the opportunity in the States to pull back because you get so caught up with like, your life and people and friends and, and traveling really forces you to lean in into yourself, by yourself, face yourself and all of that and go through those thoughts and feelings and emotions. And I think it's a wonderful way of getting that um, self introspection. So I totally agree with that. So let me ask you, Aaron, have you been able to build a community living in Vietnam? I haven't necessarily sought to build a community. I, four years in college surrounded by your friends constantly was awesome, but it was definitely left me looking for a break from that. And after I got the break, I kind of like, I kind of liked it. There's a certain confidence that comes with doing things on your own and it becomes kind of comfortable, maybe too comfortable. And that's not to say I don't have friends in Vietnam, but I do now prefer to spend a lot of my time on my own. I started a e-commerce shop when I first got to Vietnam called Massey Shop with my mom. And we were donating $2 for every purchase to Artists for Orphans, which builds orphanages in, uh, in Vietnam. And that was a really cool project to learn about sales and marketing and e-commerce. And I started the blog and um, I ghostwrite for CEOs. And so I found a nice, I, I hang out with people a couple times a week, but I do spend a lot of time alone. And, and once you get through the loneliness and push through it, the solitude is incredibly empowering because you're no longer reliant on being around other people. That's not a prerequisite for having fun or enjoying yourself. And so I've traveled to Taiwan and, and Thailand and Kuala Lumpur on my own and, and really enjoyed it. It was a blast. <laughs> and, and having that option of not being afraid to be alone is not just great for living abroad, but it's also keeps you from making mistakes of being with friends with people who maybe you don't want to be friends with, but oh my gosh, I don't want to be alone, so I have to be friends with them, or dating people who maybe aren't perfect, but you're too scared to be alone, so you date them. 
that independence, I think, is really valuable just in life in general. And so I've kind of taken advantage of it and, uh, yeah, tried to be productive with my time as best as I can. But certainly, if you want to have a group of people that you want to live abroad with, it's very easy. There's lots of Facebook groups for expats in every single city um, in the world, I'm sure. And so it's not difficult to reach out to people and make, make a friends group if that's what you're looking for. There's meetups, Facebook groups, all kinds of stuff. Okay. So do you speak the language? No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, I speak a little bit of Vietnamese, but not, not much. People here speak English. I work in, I'm the only foreigner in my office. It's uh, 300 Vietnamese people in me, or however many. And, uh, and most of the people that I work with on a daily basis speak English, or I've taught them English <laughs> through, through my interactions with them. And so everyone here wants to learn English. It's very, very valuable in Vietnam to speak English. And so even if I were to speak English to a local, they're speaking back to me in as much English as they can manage just to get the practice of speaking with an actual, you know, somebody who speaks English as their native language. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just haven't, I haven't felt the need, the need for a top priority for me. Okay. I know when we were there, I couldn't even get hello down packed. I mean, I just thought the language was a lot harder. Oh my God. I was like, I was like, come on, girl. I was trying to teach you how to say happy new year. And it was a struggle. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. <laughs> Thank you, Erin. Thank not. you. Cause she was like trying to drill it in my head. And I was just like, I don't even want to do it y'all. Cause it would be totally embarrassing, embarrassing. But you know, the funny thing about it is I live in Thailand, but my goal was to move to Vietnam and my goal was to move to Da Nang. It was, I mean, I did all the research when I was in the States and I was like, Da Nang is where it's going to be. That's where I'm going to move. That's where I'm going to plant myself. And when I got to Thailand, I fell in love with Chiang Mai and that's why I haven't left. When I got to Da Nang, it's a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong. Coffee culture is on point. What I did see, though, with Da Nang is that it is uh, it's very resorty, meaning along the beach, they're building up a lot of like hotels and and uh, resorts and things like that. So just to have that local aspect, I didn't get much of that. I felt like it was just a, another big city. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, it's a beautiful city. That's true. Um, I started in Hanoi and lived in Hanoi for a year and a half. And that's very you know, quote unquote, like Vietnam, that's a very Vietnamese experience. And the farther south you go in Vietnam, in terms of like major cities, the less Vietnamese it becomes. And so starting in Hanoi was great. And I got a, as much Vietnam as I could possibly ask for. And it was fantastic. However, living three blocks from the beach was a tough thing to turn down. And so, uh, yeah, I came here. But on the, sort of similar to what you're saying, I think the important thing for people to realize is there's sort of a, you know, America's number one mentality in the U.S. And what people, I think, should realize is that there are places like Da Nang where you have a beautiful beach, very clean city, very safe. The people are very nice. There's a tech industry. There's hospitality. You can have a fantastic life other places. The U.S. is not the only place. In fact, I would say as an expat, you probably have a better life in Vietnam than you do in the U.S. The people here always talk about the American dream. And I tell them, like, this is my Vietnam dream. You know, this is a, I, you, you can find a better life in in other places in the country. And so people 
don't keep the stereotype of these different places in your head. Do your research because Vietnam is not, you know, some war-torn country or something. There's, these are ultra-modern, clean, safe, beautiful cities and places to live all over the world. So be careful. I would say just tell people to make sure that you do a quick Google image search on these places because they might not be what you have in mind um, based on a couple things that you've read in the news or something. Yeah, for sure. And of course, you know, if you can visit, you know, spend a couple of days and check it out. Yes, for sure. If you can visit, then that's that's the, that that would be great. So, Aaron, you had mentioned something about, you know, potentially dating the wrong person and this and that. So what's dating like been for you in Vietnam, sir? Uh, well, it's been a bit off and on. I had when I left for so when I came back from New York, I was coming back to Portland with a girlfriend who was waiting for me in Portland. And this was, she had studied abroad in college before. And so we were going to finally be a normal couple and have a chance to be together. But two weeks before I came back, I found out I was going to Hong Kong. So we were off and on long distance. It was really difficult to kind of navigate that. So I really haven't done a ton of dating in Vietnam. It's a bit, depending on where you are, it can be a bit tricky. I mean, there's a lot of people, but there's a fairly large cultural gap And so if you're looking for an actual meaningful relationship, it's it's not easy necessarily to find people who you can have something more meaningful than just kind of like going to coffee or, or whatever. And so it's certainly possible, but it's not something that I've done a super deep dive into necessarily. Sounds like he's uh, staying away from it, Nubia. What do you think? No, I, it's not a matter of... No, it, I'm just kidding. I'm pulling it away. <laughs> Not not staying away, but I, uh, you know, it hasn't been a top priority in Vietnam the way that maybe it would be in the U.S. necessarily. I think of of all of the ways to allocate my time and resources, I haven't necessarily dedicated them it, to dating life. No, I can get I, I get it. I think that's if anybody asked about one of the downfalls about living abroad, I think dating would be number one on my list. And when I say dating, you can date. For hookups, but to really find a meaningful, potential lasting relationship, that seems to be kind of difficult while you're abroad. Namely, because most of the people that you meet that are foreigners are actually coming in and going right back out. So there's a lot of transitional people, transient people. To date a local is difficult because it might be the language barrier, the cultural differences. There's there's a lot of barriers. There's more barriers that stand in your way trying to date abroad. Granted, there are a ton of people that are abroad that date, uh, have wives and things like that, but I don't necessarily know their background when it comes down to that. So I just wanted to see from a young male's perspective how that dating scene would be because for a woman who's in you know, um, a different age bracket, it seems to be a little bit more difficult. For sure. You're, you are correct. The, the expats are coming and going. It's even difficult to have you know, meaningful friendships here because people are, you know, they're on a one month visa or a three month visa. And so everybody's kind of always in transition. Like you're saying, there's certainly, depending on what you're looking for, you, if you just want to hook up or whatever, there's certainly that opportunity to do that. But like you were saying, the cultural gap is pretty difficult. It's, you know, they, there are, for me, Vietnamese girls who are very familiar with Western culture and speak very good English and those things, but they're certainly not the majority. 
And so your, your options are limited when you're talking about dating locally in that sense. If you're just looking for sort of like a, a, a bit of more of a shallow, not a shallow, short, shallow relationship where it's just, you know, meeting for coffee or like you said, looking up, then that's there. If you want a more of a serious relationship, it gets more difficult, especially because, you know, if you're a guy, if you're going to be with a Vietnamese woman, you're staying in Vietnam. She's probably not super interested in long term moving back to the States with you. All their family is here. That's a big ask. And so most guys... I wouldn't say most guys. You see it a lot where guys end up dating a Vietnamese woman and they're here for life. And that's okay if you're older and you're willing to settle down in Vietnam. Obviously, I'm only 25. And so I'm not necessarily at a point where I'm going to stay in Vietnam for my whole life. And so that puts a – already there's a uh, uh, expiration date on, on the relationship. And so, yeah, you're kind of stuck in a not so serious place. And like I said, for me, I've just kind of decided to spend most of my time elsewhere. Makes sense to me. So if you had a uh, debut album, what would you call it? If I had a debut album, what would I call it? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of question is that? I have no idea. <laughs> Chris has come up with uh, crazy ass questions. I always come up with random questions. How about this? Borderless. Okay. Is that cool? I like it. I think that's really cool. It would be a country album. No, not really. It sounds like a t-shirt. <laughs> you said a country. Oh my gosh. Well, Aaron, it was great having you. Oh my goodness. You were a wealth you are a wealth of knowledge and we truly appreciate you taking the time to be on Chronicles Abroad. Can you please tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Give them the information for your website and your upcoming projects. Yeah, so you can find me at uh, 12hourdifference.co or .com. Uh, so that's my that's my blog. And then you can find me on Twitter as well at 12hourdifference. Uh, or you can just search my name. And uh, thank you guys for having me on. Like I told you before we started, I had, had a similar idea for a podcast. And so I'm so glad that somebody um, took the idea and executed it. And I wish you guys the best. And I'm happy to come on again if you ever, if you ever want me to. So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight, check that item off your bucket list, and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. So one last thing. What advice, Aaron, would you give to someone who's thinking about doing what you're doing? What would you say to them? I would say first, make sure that you want to work abroad or move abroad for the right reason. Do not run away from problems. Don't think that it's going to fix a relationship. Don't chase someone necessarily out of who you're dating abroad. Um, do it because you are interested in, in an adventure. You want to do something different. You're looking for new opportunities. You want to be challenged. You know Those are the right reasons. So make sure that the reason that you're moving abroad is a good, you have a good reason for, for doing it. And then the second one is to get started as soon as possible. You know, start getting visible, get your name out there, making connections, find a mentor, ask the right questions and focus really, don't get caught up in all of the mindset stuff. Start, you know, create an action plan, have really practical um, steps that you can take to making it your, your dream come true or, you know, finding your job abroad. Make sure that you are, you know, every day doing something to get a little bit closer. I love it. I think that's solid advice, guys. So go out there and make it happen. 
Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Aaron. Aaron, yes. And for sure, we will have you back on the show. For sure. That's a definite. We look forward to talking to you. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com, for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.